0: Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show Podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends, feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, the Emergency Measures Act is extended in Ontario. What does that mean for you and me? And President Trump has some of his closest friends testing positive. How will that affect business at the White House? It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show Podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. The Prime Minister spoke earlier on uh, this morning, uh, talked about more, uh, more money for medium and large businesses to keep workers on the payroll, uh, And uh, but it was inevitable. He was going to ask about his home province of Quebec and the way they're handling this. Many are uh, not too comfortable with uh, Quebec sending their kids back to school today uh, in the province, with the exception of the areas around Montreal, which still have uh a very large issue in regard to covid-19 uh whereas in ontario uh the number of new cases continues to drop uh, down to 308 today uh remember it wasn't that long ago we were up into the 400s pretty consistently so good news for ontario however uh the premier sorry the pro, uh the prime minister was asked uh how he feels about quebec and uh them uh reopening schools and, and such at the time that they are
1: There are things to be concerned about these days. Uh, Canadians across the country are worried for their families, for their loved ones, for their communities. As Prime Minister, I'm worried about people across the country. As member of Parliament for Papineau I'm, and a Quebecer, I'm also worried about my fellow Quebecers and, and the citizens in my riding. That's why it is so important that we continue to work with the Quebec government on our shared goal of ensuring that uh, people get through this as best we possibly can. And we will continue to work hand-in-hand with the Quebec government on exactly that. As we move forward, uh, the role of the federal government will be to support provinces in their reopening plans. We will be there to help them make sure that there are enough uh, testing for their their levels, that there uh, is uh, more PPE arriving, that uh, we're putting in place measures to follow the guidelines agreed to by all provinces and the federal government on uh, necessary prerequisites to opening.
0: All right, and speaking of schools, uh, an announcement coming this week from Education Minister Lecce. They are saying in regard to uh, what Ontario is planning to do, obviously extended uh, the school's closed uh, closure extended to uh, May 31st a few weeks ago. Also, uh, the Emergency Measures Act, the state of emergency, that has been extended until June 2nd as well. To talk more about all of this, let's bring in Sabrina Nanji, Queen's Park today. She is with us now. Sabrina, thanks so much for the time. Hope you're doing well.
2: Thanks for having me. I hope you're keeping safe, too. Uh,
0: so, first of all, tell us about the state of emergency being extended until June. What does that
2: mean for the average Ontarian? Yeah, so the House is coming back tomorrow to, to sit uh, for the emergency uh, declaration. So this is um, the first order that declares a state of emergency in Ontario, and it sort of allows premier doug ford and his cabinet to pass the emergency orders that we've been seeing over the past couple of weeks uh even more than that since march so that's uh you know the uh, restrictions on large gatherings closing down non-essential settings that type of thing
0: and this measure comes up every 30 days or so so at that point you have to decide whether to drop it or keep moving with it that's what this is just a continuation of correct
2: That's right. This is just sort of a routine procedure. They've extended it to June 2nd, which is the last day that or one of the last days that the House uh, will be sitting. And uh, if they decide at that point that we need to continue the state of emergency, it'll be about uh, 28 days or so after that 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 we'll see the House come back.
0: And you were talking about how uh, obviously they uh, the the ledge has to sit in order to to pass some sort of of uh, of measure to keep this all going. It, will there any be any other business that is conducted at this time in at the ledge?
2: Yeah, so we're expecting a government bill to come down, uh, and there doesn't seem to be much controversy in it, and that's something that they want to do so that the. Opposition will give them unanimous consent to pass it quickly in one day, which uh, is a lot faster than it usually happens in the House. Uh, There's nothing majorly controversial in it uh, at at a high level that I've seen thus far. But uh, it does seem to be maybe smaller, smaller amendments um, that might just sort of help uh, different groups, uh, for instance, First Nations uh, in handling their, their pandemic response.
0: Obviously, over the weekend, uh, we uh, heard the uh, premier extend or, or, or reopen parks uh, for day use only. Any chance that we'll see any sort of camping or any of that sort of activity uh, prior uh, to the long weekend? Or I guess with the Emergency Measures Act being extended till June, that pretty much takes care of that.
2: Yeah, I, and that seems unlikely at this point. They have opened up parks uh, for day use, but that's just for cycling, hiking, uh, bird watching, that type of thing. Camp campgrounds are are still off limits, and it doesn't seem like that that's going to change anytime soon.
0: What about marinas or boat landings for the long weekend? Did he touch on that at all?
2: Yeah. So marinas and and, um, and uh, boat boaters they've they've been given the go ahead to start preparing for the summer season's coming up, and that's also golf golf courses as well, but they haven't been opened for public use yet. So uh, a lot of us are wondering if it's just a matter of time uh, until that happens.
0: All right. Uh, we had also heard uh, news that uh, they were going to clarify what's going to happen in regard to the school year this year. Any any idea what day uh, Minister Lecce will make that announcement this week?
2: Well, I don't think it's going to be today, unfortunately, for some parents. Uh, the finance minister will be up speaking with the Premier in uh, about half an hour. Uh, we we have been asking and, and uh, hounding the Education Minister, Stephen Lecce, for more information on this. He did offer a little bit of hope, but no uh, concrete timelines today. He, he did encourage schools to postpone big milestone events that are being canceled, things like prom, graduation ceremonies that usually happen in June. Um, so he's Saying that they could be postponed until the fall, maybe when things get better, it's still not really anything concrete, but it might be a little glimmer of hope um, for students that, that are uncertain about the next couple of months.
0: Uh, We're certainly seeing what's happening in Quebec as they're uh, trying to rush to get things open despite still having uh, the most cases of anywhere in the country and such. We know that Quebec schools went back today with the exception of those uh, in the Montreal area, uh, which still is quite the hot spot. Is there pressure in Ontario to put the kids back in school or is there just as much pressure to keep them out?
2: Yeah, I think that's a a little bit of both. Um, You know, we're hearing from parents who are... Frustrated, You know, students are uh, not motivated right now. The government has ramped up some of their online learning programs. They say that that uh, is a precaution for, for the fall. Um, but I, I think it goes both ways. People are, are really worried about bringing back classrooms and, and what that will look like, uh, you know, in case there is a, a second wave or, or another surge
0: uh and again i'm asking you to look into a crystal ball here uh sabrina and i know that you don't have one but uh we've certainly seen other provinces where they've said that's it we're just going to continue uh with the closure considering what is happening in quebec uh would we be surprised if all of a sudden lecce said yeah we're going to bring them back for june uh
2: i think i would be a little surprised at that they they have ramped up some of their online learning supports and uh, you know, they haven't uh, made any changes to childcare beyond beyond um, extending for emergency, uh, for more access for more emergency workers. Um, I, I don't they haven't really made any changes to the rules about, you know, there's still a maximum of 50 in those settings. It, it seems unlikely that they would bring back schools in full force, you know, just for the month of June at this point. Uh, but like, like I said, like the education minister hasn't really said said much or given much clarity on it.
0: Have you heard anything, Sabrina, about sending the teachers back to the schools and conducting the lessons from the classroom? Is, is that feasible? Is it worth it? And the kids uh, yeah. still staying at home?
2: There has been there. The education minister actually on Friday had sent a memo to, to teachers, you know, encouraging them to use live video conferencing and more, more of uh, the digital, the digital learning support. They were allowing teachers to go back into the classroom only to pick up their materials, not to do any actual teaching. Um, but they've also redeployed some education workers who are not uh, teaching necessarily right now. Like, so that would be uh, on a voluntary basis. Custodians, for example, might be redeployed to help out in long-term care. So I, I think with that, uh, school boards are saying that they need to do an inventory of what staff they might need before they start making those decisions. But I think if they were to bring back schools, that might complicate things if they've redeployed certain education workers. Uh, so So many questions remain
0: um it, it, it appears that and again i got i've got two kids in the system one in high school and, and one in elementary it seems that some teachers are really embracing this and, and 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 doing lots of connectivity with the kids and there's others that are just kind of doing the basic minimum is there any sort of uh, of dialogue between the teachers unions and the governments about actually being proactive about this and moving it forward. Uh, in other words, more connectivity, uh, you know, we, we were, I was talking to my, uh, my boy about this and it's like, you know, we, we want to be able to even, even if the teachers took five or 10 minutes and just open the thing up and let, let the kids talk amongst themselves. I mean, there just doesn't seem to be a lot of proactivity there. Uh, you know, and even when I talked to Bischoff, uh, the head of the, uh, the secondary school teachers' union. Union. The attitude wasn't in how we make the most of this. It was just about getting them through, making sure the year's done, and we don't we don't wreck the year. Is there any? Is there a lot of collaboration going on here, or, or are some still stuck in the mud with this?
2: Yeah. Um, so I mentioned that memo um, because it, it did sort of. It was sort of a, the first recognition, you know, officially that the teachers weren't necessarily taking up the live video conferencing, which might be one uh, way to, like, better connect with, with their students. Um, and, and so it seems like those efforts are being scaled up now, which might indicate that, that this might be the lay of the land going forward, you know, as opposed to in-class in learning.
0: Do you get the feeling that teachers' unions are dragging their feet on this and not being proactive, in other words, trying really hard to get it back to the way it was when that may not be possible for several months yet?
2: Yeah, I, I think it's, uh, I'm not sure about overall, but, and, you know, it does depend on individuals. I've heard some teachers who are really super actively involved and then hearing from others who yeah. aren't. So I think that there might be, something to do about uh, having a more uniform approach to this. And because there is so much uncertainty about how long this will be the situation, maybe now they, they uh, need to start uh, setting, setting more um, strict uh, benchmarks for it
0: uh if this decides to end uh, if they decide to extend this to the end of the year uh what happens come next september i mean obviously some pretty serious plans are going to be have to drawn up, are going to be have to be drawn up in the next two months to see what the return of school does look like uh in september is there any reason to believe in september it will be business as normal
2: um i i think it's probably too soon to say that uh i, I do know that at least in Post-secondary, college, and university campuses are being told to, you know, uh, prepare for online, um, an online curriculum in the fall. I think that, you know, in terms of public education, Stephen Lecie did give a bit of hope talking about postponing graduation ceremonies and prom to the fall. He has also promised that these, uh, this disruption, won't hurt anyone's chances of graduating. I think there's a lot of uncertainty um, and a lot of things that need to be answered. But at this point, because we are slowly starting to reopen, I think everyone is sort of watching out for a potential second wave, and that might force us back to uh, stricter restrictions. So it's we're all in a bit of a holding pattern for now.
0: Sabrina and Angie's been with us. Queen's Park today talking about the kids uh, possibly going back to school or possibly not. Uh, that announcement hopefully coming up this week and Ontario extending its state of emergency until June 2nd. Sabrina, thanks so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. Thanks, you too. The CMHA has unveiled new data that shows the majority of the of Canadians are not only concerned about mental health now, but also once this pandemic is over. Uh, To talk more about all of this, let's bring in Peter Blumendale, uh, Director of Clinical Services, uh, CMHA Hamilton, and is on the line with us now. Peter, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. Thank you for having me. Uh, obviously uh mental illnesses has uh certainly been a, a big concern during this pandemic we are certainly seeing evidence of that now when we're into the nine-week period um but you know you would assume most would think that once we slowly get back to normal that perhaps things would get to normal get back to normal with our mental health are you concerned about what we're going to be like coming out the other end of this
3: uh i am concerned scott um it's, it's hard to fully project what it's going to look like, but oftentimes when our brains become exposed to this repeated stress and repeated anxiety, um, we develop ways of coping with that. And sometimes the way that we cope with that aren't always the most help or healthy ways, um, and they can, help, they can develop habits, they can develop um, into greater concerns that can affect our functioning day to day.
0: Now, obviously, we all know how we're feeling now and, you know, the unofficial term cabin fever and such. But is there any reason to believe that once this is over and once and again, we know that the the gates aren't going to swing open and we're all going to run out into a field of daisies. This will be a very long, slow process and there will be new process and procedure uh, as we slowly uh, do reopen uh, the economy. What are you expecting as far as. Uh, uh, our mental health coming out of this. For example, we have to continue to self-distance. We're not allowed to hug, or shouldn't hug, or or shake hands, or anything of this nature. How does that affect us long term? So
3: I'm, I think we're in inherently social creatures, right? So a lot of those things that we seem as normal—hugging or um, sitting close to people—not um, kind of worrying so much about our personal space as as much as we do. I I think that's kind of normal uh, part of being a member of a community, right? And community is something that we need to support us for our mental health. And uh, as we begin to kind of get back into the swing of, I guess, normal life again, um, if we don't foster a good sense of community with one another, if we continue to be afraid of one another, um, that can help, that, can, that makes us feel distanced, that makes us feel isolated, um, and that can absolutely affect our mental health.
0: Do we realize how much this does affect us? You know, yeah, you know, if have talk to some people, yeah, I'm fine with this, you know, I, I'm not a real social butterfly anyway, so I'm okay with this. Do, do, we, do we realize how this can affect us?
3: It depends on the person. We, we have a term in our field that we call insight, and some people are very insightful about Um, how much the isolation does affect them and and some people aren't as insightful and um, usually one of the things that gets in the way of insight is when we have coping mechanisms like drinking more alcohol or using more um, Mm -hmm. marijuana or cigarettes or uh, whatever it is we kind of use to deal with stress when we're starting to use mind-altering substances. Um, Oftentimes that can delay the insight to really it takes a while for us to understand the effect that some of these things are having on us uh
0: what about putting on weight eating more
3: uh yeah uh that's something that uh i think in the polls uh, most canadians have noted that their their diet has gone by the wayside um exercise has been affected significantly um our, our daily lives provide a structure for us as well in that we kind of embed healthy eating and uh, exercise within that structure. We don't always do it from our home in our basement, right? A lot of us like to get out to do those things. And um, as our structure of our daily lives has changed, some of those things
0: have kind of fallen off and we, we are more prone to indulge. <laughs> Is comfort food a good thing? Can it help us at these times?
3: Uh, yes, it can be a good thing. I think anytime we're talking about uh, diet or exercise or things like that, balance is an important word. Um, I would I, I think if we look at the different food groups and Canvas Food Guide, there's all kinds of uh, there, there's plenty of room for uh, comfort food in there. It's just how often we do it and how much we indulge
0: when we do. Uh, should we be taking advantage? of this time this this anomaly uh or is that putting too much pressure on us you know we've heard people i've decided i'm gonna learn a new language i've decided i'm gonna take up a musical instrument while others are just trying to get by is this a good time to do something like that
3: if people have time for that absolutely i think the other side of this is there's also groups of people at home who are trying to balance having their kids educated and working from home and doing more tasks than normal. It might not be for those individuals, but if if people have additional time during the day at home when they usually didn't, taking a, a new hobby or taking advantage of trying to learn an instrument or something like that is a wonderful way to spend your time. Absolutely
0: uh i've uh I've commented many times on the show and in this line that I, I read somewhere over the course of this pandemic uh this is uh, th- this is the first crisis of a privileged generation uh, we remember what we were like pre covid 19. Will this change our society will it change young people
3: uh very interesting question, and I think you're right. I think it is one of the first crises of a our, our very privileged generation, and I'm I'm fortunate enough to still have a couple of my grandparents who um, lived when they were yep. very young through um, other times of crisis, and um, they've kind of remarked to me, you know, this is the first time I've felt so uneasy since the war <laughs> about what's going on in the yeah. world. And, um, I, our entire generation isn't used to thinking like that or, or to feeling that way. Does it change us as a culture? I think it, it has to.
0: I just don't know how yet. I think some of that is uh, left to be written. What are some of the positives that could come out of this? I mean, many have said uh, by living life smaller, and as you mentioned, I mean, it's affecting everybody differently. Some people find themselves out of work. Other people are working from home and, and also teaching their kids, and it's it's three times as much work as, as, as what it used to be and such but 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 as we move uh slowly through this and as we slowly uh uh, find out what the new normal is what can we do what what should we be doing what are the positives as i mentioned we we talked about the the family you know getting smaller and it's forced us to talk to each other more instead of going out and being so active what are the positives that can come out of this
3: so that's definitely a positive that can come out of it i know i have two children myself and um, I spend more time with them now than I did when I was at work because I'm yeah. around them throughout the day, helping with their, their planning. And certainly I get to see a little bit more about how they're learning and get to be more a part of that area of their life. Um, I mean, I think any times that we're in a period of crisis, um, we tend to revert back to understanding what's most important. And I think that's a really good sense of awareness. That uh, it is very important to focus on family, um, to focus on what our basic needs are and make sure that we have those, that we can be grateful for those. Um,
0: I don't know if everybody will see the positives. <laughs> what advice do you um, have for us that in this, especially as we hit week nine? Any advice?
3: Any advice for people as we hit week nine? Mm hmm. Um, Uh, focus on wellness, take care of yourselves please. Um, It's a check-in that I have to do with myself every day as well. Um, What are we doing to take care of our bodies and our minds? um, And try to create a structure for yourself every day. So Mm. if it's even spending one day Sorry, once a day, spending a half hour to do like a self-care moment, like I'm going to do something for me today, and what is that going to be? And that probably shouldn't be picking up a drink of alcohol. It needs hmm. to be focused on wellness and uh, a healthy behavior and a healthy habit.
0: Peter blumendell has been with us, Director of Clinical Services, CMHA Hamilton. New data revealed that a majority of Ontarians are concerned about mental health when this is all over. Peter, thank you for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. Thank you. You too. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Now we are hearing that several members of the White House have tested positive for COVID 19, including a spokesperson for the vice president, Mike Pence uh even with a close associate testing positive the vp plans to be at the white house today Uh, apparently he gets tested every day but again uh, in lots of situations in the first couple of weeks uh you can become um, uh, infected and not know it and as well be spreading the disease let's bring in reggie cicchini washington producer correspondent with global news he is with us now reggie thank you for the time hope you're doing well
4: yeah good afternoon
0: so who has tested positive in the uh, president's circle and, and, and how many are there? How big a deal is this?
4: Well, this is a huge deal uh, on a number of fronts. And when we're looking at the number of people who have tested positive, uh, as you mentioned already, the vice president's uh, press secretary Katie Miller, who is married to the president's top policy advisor, Stephen Miller, He apparently has tested negative, but is staying out of the White House as a precaution. Uh, The president's personal valet has also tested positive for COVID-19. That's the person who brings him his daily lunch and brings him his food and has close contacts with the first family. There are also 11 members of the Secret Service inside uh, the White House, or at least on the White House campus, that have tested positive as well. And this is all part and parcel of a broader trend of viruses that are being detected in and around the Washington, D.C. metro area, D.C., Maryland and Virginia very tightly uh, knit with each other. Uh, a lot of people moving around the, the the borders of the areas as they work for the federal government. And the three areas themselves have actually seen case increases in the two and three thousand range uh, combined for the three states over the last several days. Even today, you know, more than a thousand cases in just Virginia alone. So this is an area of the U.S. that has quickly become a hotspot, and the virus has now crept its way across several borders and through the front door of the White House.
0: The fact that it is now in the White House, uh, should there not be some sort of uh, more precaution take uh, taken, especially around the president and the vice president? What, what do medical officials say about all of this?
4: Well, I mean, look, since this virus began, mitigation efforts uh, when it comes to the administration have been lacking at best. We do not see people wearing masks around the White House. We don't see the president or the vice president using a face covering or really practicing social distancing uh, at any of the events that they're at, up to and including uh, briefings that take place on White House grounds. And this has been a, a persistent fear For health experts and even for the president's top health advisors who say the closer people are together and the more you're not doing to contain and mitigate uh, the spread of this virus, the more opportunities you have for this virus to uh, come closer to you. And that's where we see the issue is with the president. We understand that the president is not happy and, and he's angry at the fact that people close to him have become infected. But this all stems from a confused top down messaging from the government, from the White House, uh, on how to deal with this. You actively have cases inside the White House where tests are now being done uh, to ensure that nobody else gets sick, whereas the messaging across the rest of the country is, you're a warrior, put yourself back out in public, you don't need testing because we don't think that it's all that important.
0: If Donald Trump's personal valet has tested positive, and this is the person who may bring him meals, I mean, my goodness, this is playing with fire. Is it not just a matter of time before the president comes down with something? And this is
4: a huge concern, not only for the president and for the administration, but for Republicans in general, because you now have somebody very close to President Trump who has tested positive. You have somebody very close to the vice president who's tested positive. And if both of these men found themselves to be incapacitated or hospitalized or sick and couldn't do their job, third in line is Democratic House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, and that is just a a recipe for a firestorm across Washington uh, if she happened to have to step into power because the other two leaders simply didn't follow their own health advisor's advice. Uh, to, to stay healthy and to put themselves out of harm's way. Look, this is close to the president right now, and instead of taking time off of the White House and going to Camp David or going to a secure location, the president is maintaining his presence inside the building and is expected to gather people today at 4 o'clock for a testing briefing out in the Rose Garden. It, it shows that, that priorities and messaging have been confused from the beginning and they continue to be muddy at best, even right now.
0: What about the president with his own personal dealings with people? You just said he obviously doesn't seem to be adhering to any of these precautions. Uh, personally, is he afraid of getting this? I, I guess he's not if he isn't listening to these precautions. Is he, is he getting too close to people per se?
4: Well, I mean, look, the president is putting himself in a precarious position where he could find himself uh, uh, becoming infected. We don't know what the transparency would be if the president did actually contract the virus. You know, this is oftentimes uh, an administration that tries to uh, pump things up or inflate things to be slightly different from the reality. But it's also concerning because the, the president is a self-described germaphobe. He, he he is uh, incredibly uh, concerned and worried about other people's health around him. He's made jokes about that uh, during press briefings, if somebody's coughed or if somebody has sneezed. Uh, So it is interesting, the fact that the president is putting himself in a situation uh, where he could potentially become infected. There was a cabinet briefing over the weekend with the uh, leaders of every single department in the administration, up to and including military leaders. And they all sat around the briefing table. None of them were wearing a mask, and they were all separated by only a matter of inches. And we're now finding out that one of the Joint Chiefs of Staff tested positive and then immediately tested negative. Uh, So this means that there could be an additional person, high ranking in the administration, high ranking in the inner Trump circle, again, finding themselves ill. This is a growing concern inside the White House.
0: So, uh, Reggie, getting back to what you were saying earlier, if uh, Donald Trump does end up becoming ill and then Vice President Pence ends up becoming ill, what is the protocol i mean is nancy pelosi then the person in charge is it that is it is it is it a decision that is made just like that or where do you see that going
4: yeah i mean look it's a situation that you know likely isn't going to happen but very well could happen and in the the line of succession when it comes to uh who takes over for the president in any uh, uh instance where there is a vacancy that needs to be filled on an immediate basis It's the president, it's then the vice president, and it's then the speaker of the House. No matter what party they're associated with, that is the person who is third in line. And if we find that Vice President Pence and President Trump become ill, are not able to carry out their duties, you end up with with Nancy Pelosi effectively having to step up and fill a void that's been created by uh, the sheer inability to pay attention to health advisors saying that this could uh, potentially be a dangerous situation. It's something that, you know, again, it, it's a far-fetched possibility, but it is still in the realm of possibility because it's simply how that line of succession works in the U.S.
0: Uh, we all know that past leaders normally don't comment on current leaders. Uh, Barack Obama uh, said something, I guess, in in, in a phone call uh, over the weekend, and then that was leaked out, uh, questioning, well, calling all of this chaos and such, and, and not being very complimentary to the way things uh, have been handled. How is that playing in the U.S.?
4: Well, look, the president, uh, you know, President Trump kind of clapped back a little bit at uh, at President Obama uh, by saying that, you know, we're getting, quote, great marks for the handling of the coronavirus pandemic, especially on the early ban. Uh, of people from China, despite the fact that that ban uh, is not as widespread and was not as widespread as what uh, what the president kind of talks it up as being. And also, the president is talking about getting great marks for this handling, despite the fact that the U.S. has surpassed 80,000 deaths and is on the approach to 1.4 million deaths. But uh, besides that, yes, it's an unspoken rule in Washington that past presidents do not criticize a sitting president, but this is not a conventional political time in this country. We heard what Barack Obama said on that tape that was leaked by Yahoo over the weekend, uh, essentially saying that uh, this was this was chaotic and it would be difficult for any kind of government. Uh, but it's it, it even worse than it is uh, than it could be right now. Uh, and this is being used in two different ways. A, it's a way to go after President Trump's leadership during this health crisis, but it's also a way to silently and, and kind of with some effort prop up Vice President uh, Joe Biden in as he now is the presumptive nominee for, for the Democratic Party. It's a way to kind of get the, the troops to rally around him uh, heading into the election in November
0: a uh, surprised that this got out. Was this part of the plan anyway? I mean, w- would uh, would Barack Obama be naive to think that if this was said, it wouldn't get out?
4: I mean, I think any politician understands at any point, whatever they're saying, even if it's behind a closed door, there's always an opportunity for, uh, for a leak to be made. You know, D.C. leaks like an old roof. We- we've seen that time and time again in numerous administrations. And I think that there was any kind of, uh, you know, Um, possibility that he knew what he was saying was going to make its way to the public. And we don't know who actually leaked it. We don't know if it was a forced leak or an accidental leak. But the fact that these words are now being made public shows that Barack Obama is actively getting into uh, the political game once again, as we had, you know, less than six months to the election, using his considerable voice. The platform that he did sit on and the fact that he does still have an incredible amount of sway politically around this country uh, to ensure that words are not only being spoken nicely about uh, the presumptive nominee for the Democratic Party, but also trying to ensure that there is a solid understanding from a former political person uh, as to how the current political situation is right now in the U.S.?
0: Uh, What about the president's reaction to this? Uh, uh, Obviously, uh, Barack Obama made reference to Donald Trump and this always being about him. I'm paraphrasing there. Uh, What about uh, the president's reaction to this?
4: Well, look, from the beginning of this, the president has either downplayed how this pandemic would play out or is either not paying attention to the realities of it or is trying to shift the burden away from his own uh, administration's shortcomings and place the blame somewhere else. You know, the president simply saying that he's getting high marks for this, uh, you know, and trying to compare what happened during the H1N1 swine flu outbreak during the Obama administration, uh, saying that they had poor marks, that they had bad polls, that they, quote unquote, didn't have a clue. This is simply a deflection uh, to take responsibility for the fact that things have not gone Picture perfect uh, in the handling of this health crisis since it started. President Trump, time and time again, said he does not take responsibility for the fact that the sheer number of Americans uh, are dying at such a rapid rate, uh, saying that everything that he's done right now has been fine, uh, and also, you know, ensuring that he tries to place the blame elsewhere by saying that he inherited bare cupboards from the Obama administration, even though. President Trump had been in office for three years and didn't do anything to fix those stockpiles and also tried to blame testing on the former president, even though coronavirus and the tests for the virus didn't exist when Obama was in office.
0: Uh, We remember last week uh, uh, Mike Pompeo was talking about uh, China and and focusing attention on a Chinese lab that was studying uh, wet markets in Wuhan and such, and 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 started to paint the uh, the illusion that it could have escaped from this lab, although there I, I don't believe there's any proof of that, uh, certainly not like there is from the wet market. Does it matter if the and, and why is Donald Trump choosing this angle? And does it matter if it came from the wet market or a laboratory that was studying viruses from the wet market? Why the significant what is the significance of that?
4: Well, it, it's, it's questionable what the significance is. I mean, look, Mike Pompeo trying to chalk this up to being something that was done in a potentially nefarious way by the, uh, by the uh, regime in China uh, is, is not out of the uh, ordinary and not out of a realm of what you would expect someone like Mom, Mike Pompeo to say. He's incredibly hawkish when it comes to uh, the administration inside China and the president. Uh, You know, the president, it is worth noting here, hasn't said definitively that he thinks that this started in a Wuhan lab. He always says that, you know, he he sees things, he hears things, there will be information and reports out shortly that never show up. Uh, And it's also worth noting here that most leading intelligence agencies and allies of the United States around the world do not believe that this was some kind of, uh, uh, um, you know, situation gone wrong inside of a Wuhan lab lab this is simply just an opportunity for a blame blame, uh, blame game uh, but it does raise questions considering that the US and China have such a tumultuous relationship with each other notably when it comes to trade uh, this could you know amp things up uh, you know in the weeks and months ahead once we get through this pandemic it is worth noting that China is seeing its cases uh, start to increase again Wuhan has actually seen a number of new cases there's another city in China that's finding itself locked down because of the rate of outbreak right now. Uh, so that is going to raise more questions, but there still is no definitive proof that what Mike Pompeo was saying is anything other than words to try and please the president.
0: We're certainly hearing as, you know, we we see countries come down the backside of this curve, more and more people talking about holding China accountable for the chaos that has been created uh, in the world. Is what Donald Trump and what Mike Pence is, or sorry, what uh, Mike Pompeo has been saying in regard to labs or whatever, is this just muddying the waters, turning this into a U.S. versus China thing as opposed to China versus the rest of the world?
4: Well, I mean, look, there are a number of of countries, uh, including the World Health Organization, that are trying to hold some kind of accountability towards China by saying that they need to do a better job at allowing people in. They need to do a better job uh, at at being transparent at the very onset of an issue like this. And this has been uh, something that has been uh, voiced and and kind of echoed around the world. That's not just the United States uh, saying that. But I think, you know, given the current situation right now, Countries around the world have their own problems to deal with when it comes to this outbreak, and I think that they'll take the opportunity potentially afterwards to go back to China to say, here's what went wrong and here's what needs to not happen next time uh, this kind of situation pops up again. Uh, But the simple fact that that countries around the world are seeing a dramatic rise in their cases again, like in India, like in China, and now like in South Korea again, uh, I think that there are, are bigger concerns right now to mitigating and containing viruses in their own borders before they go back and start trying to deal with, with blame and, uh, and fallout uh, from how the, the, the regime of Xi Jinping uh, 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 managed this.
0: Getting back to the White House with what is, and this is the last question, Reggie, with what's been happening in the White House and people close to the president's circle uh, testing positive, these next this next week or two could be very, very crucial in Washington, could it not?
4: Well, the next week or two is going to be crucial, not only in Washington, but around the country, because we now have 48 states that are officially in some form or another of uh, having reopened. Uh, And we know that since it takes 14 days to incubate, this could lead to a massive spike in cases around the country. But now that we're just seeing the odd person here and there inside the White House, it's the same situation, but on a much more toned down level. Uh, In a very small building, two weeks from now, we could see a dramatic spike in the number of cases inside of the administration we heard uh uh one of the economic uh um uh, members kevin Hassett, over the weekend saying that he's actually scared to go into work right now and it's uncomfortable because there are so many people crammed into the oval office so there is this opportunity in the next couple of weeks, if things aren't dealt with and mitigated properly, to see a massive outbreak of cases. And this is simply going to be an optics issue and challenge for the Trump administration when they say, look, it, we're trying to contain our own outbreak right now, but forcing people to come to work. How's that going to play out with you know, Joe and Jane American, who are now being told it's okay to go out to work and possibly seeing exactly what's happening in the White House happen in their own house?
0: Reggie Cicchini's been with us, Washington producer and correspondent with Global News. Make sure you're watching Global News tonight at 530 and 6 for more on all of this. Reggie, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well. Thank you. you. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Things are starting to reopen up a little bit ever so slowly here in Ontario. And obviously, uh, we have to do that very, very slowly and be mindful of social distancing and such. Uh, obviously a industry very hard hit is the restaurant industry and we certainly know that here in hamilton uh, the restaurant scene has exploded in the last several years uh, many are adapting some are adapting trying to do takeout and and uh and many are supporting our restaurants in any way that uh, we can but now a motion is being brought forward to hamilton council that would allow temporary shared outdoor eating districts uh, in the city it uh, it passed would allow restaurants and other food businesses to open up a bit more well physically uh, physical distancing is in place obviously you can imagine in a restaurant uh, many times uh, you know very boutique restaurants and in very intimate settings now uh, we're talking about if and when they do open up that having less people uh, in the establishment where does that leave patios you can see how this could be a, uh, a great discussion and how we can uh, at least get people onto a patio and safe social distancing let's bring in jason farr city Councilor ward two he is with us now jason thanks for the time hope you're doing well
5: yeah pretty good Uh, as good as expected i guess god and you
0: yeah same thing i hear (laughs) you so what are your thoughts this is a great idea what's at the root of this how do you think we can make this work
5: well, I think the Genesis started the first weekend in the quarantine with uh, just a cold call I made to uh, Jason Casise, who's a well-known restaurateur and businessman uh, throughout our core, but also our city has a couple of golf courses up there, Knollwood and Ancaster. And I I just called generally to get a feel for uh, how small businesses is dealing with it very early on. And we talked about many things, including restaurants and uh I think anybody who knows Mr. Cassis sees him as a bit of a a good prognosticator as it relates to small business. And we started uh, to talk more in-depthly just about the restaurant side of things. And it was him that uh, predicted that, uh, you know, one day, obviously, everything's going to open up at some point. um, But there was going to be rules around. We didn't really know much. I think we're still calling physical distancing, social distancing at the time. But uh, when and if it was going to be, uh, you know, physical separation was going to be a big part of it. How can you do it and do it safely? And a, a big conversation was for the 18,000 strong in this very popular foodie scene in the city of Hamilton. So when you look at it as a whole, it's a pretty big industry. Um, you know, safety was going to be a concern. But you're looking at footprints, as you sort of noted off the top, that are, much smaller, whether the patio that exists outside or the footprint inside. And if you're reducing capacity by 50 or 60% to make physical distancing work, uh, wouldn't it be something if we had, you know, the ability to be a little more lenient with uh, public lands in and around, particularly at the time we were talking about dining districts, but any restaurant establishment. And so that sort of started it. And among the many communications with the Emergency Operations Center, senior management that I've had over the years, or over the months, it seems like years, uh, the last couple of months or so, um, this was one of the things that popped up. And then I worked on this motion draft form about three weeks ago with our uh, general manager of planning and economic development, Jason Thorne, and here we are.
0: So what do you have in mind? What can you see here? How would this work?
5: Well, you've talked in your preamble about, uh, you know, it's a a good discussion. And I think Wednesday I, I have in mind that it will be. I think my colleagues, I've talked to a few already, have asked some very good questions um, I think what will work in terms of my award which I have obviously a lot more say uh, you know we, and as the motion sort of uh, dictates you'll have block by block you kind of look at it that way uh, it starts with a petition if we ratify this on Wednesday which we could do and set the wheels in motion restaurants could start working now for that inevitable announcement we're hopeful sooner rather than later but the prudent and rele- relevant announcement from the provincial side so it's, it is in Ford's purview to say okay restaurants you can open but under these guidelines um they can hit the ground running by first get doing that petition second going through our special events advisory team and working with them because each area in our core is going to be unique, as is each area in our city if there's other areas of the city that want to jump on this. They're going to get the buy-in at around 70%. We're saying two-thirds percent in the block, uh, on the block, in the motion. And then uh, the special events advisory team will take a very good look, hard look at that block and say, here's where it works from a private property perspective. Of course, you can have the sidewalk or maybe a lane of this road or maybe the adjacent parking lot. Uh, or work with uh, private sector uh, on on land that just makes sense and uh, you know at that table with special events advisory as you probably know Scott you have fire you have building you have uh, police and various departments that uh, generally work around that seat table the special events advisory team uh, in planning special events big and small whether it's concessions street fest or lock festival or a super crawl or even the smaller things that we put together in the city when we work in conjunction with these special events or hold them ourselves um you have that conversation then from there scott uh you set up that footprint the footprint that's going to work inevitably i think you know you get it i get it i think most people get the fact that there are going to be these safety guidelines in place and the big part of it is you're going to need more space if you want to get back to those kinds of numbers that you're used to as a restaurant when you when you fill a joint, you're not going to be able to do it in your usual footprint. So why not set up this Epicuro and make it work in that way in a much bigger, bigger way?
0: So is this about expanding your footprint uh, footprint around your establishment, or is this a separate area within the neighborhood? Like, for example, would you, you know, allowing people to use their sidewalk, perhaps a side street if there's one next to them, uh, you know, a laneway there, uh, or could this be a vacant lot within the community, within the neighborhood?
5: No one's talked about that yet. Right now, we're talking about adjacent lands or lands nearby, but... Right. I tell you, personally, it's a great question. I, I mean, it's not really part of the motion, but if there's a conglomerate of, of restaurants that say, look, we have this corner of, you know, Catherine and Young Street or Hunter Street, uh, city-owned uh, parcel, it's an asphalt parking lot, nobody's using it, um, you know, traffic's at an all-time low, and, you know, not everybody is filling up our parking lots as we speak right now. Can we sequester half of that and create, essentially uh, an area for uh, a number of restaurants to work together to create a a dining, um, uh, you know, corner of our core. But for the most part, what it would be is the collective of restaurants working in, you know, already existing culinary districts, whether it's with the BIA, uh, with a row of restaurants on one block. Uh, It could be King Street, it could be James Street, or it could be, you know, a, a, a merchant association like Hess Village or, or maybe it's Little Augusta where it just makes sense, where there's pretty much nothing but for one block
6: from mm-hmm. James to
5: Houston, uh, lots of pubs. Or or King William where you've got from James to to, to Houston uh, uh, a, a series of restaurants as well and and already a very popular culinary scene. And they would all work together collectively. So that food court or Epicuro or that open space where we're working uh with that collective whoever they may be or maybe a couple just a few restaurants um would work together and those tables would be for everyone and and part of the public safety would be cleaning and and security and making sure physical dep- uh, uh, distancing is is uh very much adhered to and so they would work with either the BIA would work with the restaurants or the restaurants and the BIAs would work together uh to make that happen
0: we were certainly uh, we were chatting with the mayor a couple of weeks back. There was a, a, a petition and some interest about closing James Street North. Would this involve chain, uh, closing any streets at all, or just those minor uh, offshoots off the main uh, areas?
5: I mean, each uh, application will be based on its own merits through the seat process. So I, I can't say that any one area uh, right now is... Um, at the point where they've even petitioned it hasn't been ratified by council i think arterials would be a harder sell scott uh so the main 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 streets uh for a full closure but partial absolutely i mean you know that we already utilize metered parking spaces on those arterial streets for anybody who wants to apply and have uh on-street patios it's something our city's been doing now for a couple of years in fact we even uh, passed uh, through councillor jackson and and Mayor Fred a motion to allow outdoor music on 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 our our patios. So uh, you know the table's set, uh, but we're talking about a bigger footprint. Is it a street closure on an Augusta or a King William, as the aforementioned? Yes, absolutely that that could be applied for and could probably work and And my guess is on and I'm only guessing uh, still ratification, still a debate uh, uh, in a couple of days at council. But my guess is those types of streets, Hatsville is George Street or or King William or Augusta, they're going to petition high in favor. Uh, they're going to work together; they already do those those restaurants, those culinary districts, and uh, they'll probably make it work on the on the arterials with full road closures. But that's something they would have to apply for, and it would be reviewed by the appropriate staff accordingly.
0: So, what's next, Jason? Where do we go from here?
5: Well, we have a debate on Wednesday, and so far from. The colleagues that I've talked to, the mayor and I had a good conversation on this. He wanted to, you know, make sure all the I's are dotted, T's are crossed. It's a very thorough two-page motion. I don't normally, I talk a lot, but I don't write a lot when it comes to motions. Uh, But I'm trying to sort of mitigate concerns that we might have, maybe outside of Ward Two, I mean, you know, we're privileged to have uh, in-depth culinary districts uh, and scenes, foodie scenes in our downtown. But that doesn't mean they don't exist elsewhere. Certainly, Lock Street, I think I've seen and read and on social media and others, and their counselor, uh, there's interest there. Uh, but, you know, think of, uh, I don't know if you've maybe in your rock and roll days ever gone up to Boomers. I keep thinking of Boomers
6: <laughs> on the West Mountain
5: Upper Paradise. They already have a little patio where they've sequestered uh, some parking on uh, a privately owned strip plaza a lot nice little pub been there forever everybody knows over the west mountain maybe they want to get in on this action they work with at getting uh more of a footprint on that parking lot and m&m Meat signs off on it next door in the variety store and gas station at the corner and and they make that work and they work with seat and and it works in the west mountain just as well as it might work on an augusta street in downtown or a king williams same for east mountain or stony creek uh had a great uh correspondence back and forth with councilor vanderbeek asking all sorts of questions about hey i might be a little bit concerned about you know king street which is our main thoroughfare in dundas being closed and the bia might not want that and i said well the bia can bring up uh, as many options as they like and it all starts with is there a a block or two is there a cluster that where it makes sense and it doesn't need to contemplate a a full street closure but we can find that space in an adjacent city-owned parking lot or maybe a a city-owned parquet, or or a, a number of meters on one side of the street, and you know it's not just going to be an attraction in some of these areas downtown. Not exclusive to downtown, it's not just going to be an attraction downtown, but it, or for restaurant goers. Scott, it will probably be an attraction for small business that are also in the area because now you've created this call it a, a makeshift culinary district or scene that that I think there's going to be a lot of anxious people that want to go out as soon as we tell them they can uh, but do it safely of course that's going to be part of the, the message and uh, the weather's going to get warmer summer and fall are the timing works out perfectly and uh, I think it might be a, I, I, I feel strongly anyway that it'll be a benefit more than to, more than just
6: to restaurants
0: Jason Farr has been with us, city councilor for Ward 2, a motion being brought forward that would temporarily expand the footprint of restaurants, allowing them to uh, social distance uh, more safely and outside. Jason, thanks so much for the time. Be well, and kudos to council for thinking outside the box on this sort of stuff. It's certainly uh, a new trail, and we've all got to blaze it. Uh, good work, Jason. Thanks for the time.
5: And thanks for all the uh, superb COVID-19 coverage on CHML, Scott.
0: Thank you, Jason. You take care. All right, let's bring in Alyssa Freeman. We haven't talked to her in a while. Public relations guru, Alyssa PR. She is with us now. Alyssa, thank you for the time. Hope you're doing well.
6: Yes, I am, and I hope you are, too. Well, I know you are.
0: So well, therefore. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm calling.
6: Because <laughs> you're calling, so you must be fine.
0: <laughs> We've only got a minute left, and we, were, we called you to talk, to talk about Jerry Stiller in the Jerry first Stiller. place.
6: I love Stiller. and Mira. And, I, I, you know, what freaks me out is that most people don't even know that. <laughs> so.
0: Yeah, don't even. Well, or even that the career that these people had long before Seinfeld.
6: Well, they were huge in the 60s. I remember yeah. watching them. I mean, they were absolutely fantastic. And on
0: every variety show. On every
6: variety show show, and, and Jerry Stiller's career should really be commended because, you know, not every actor gets to continue practicing his or her craft every single decade. And he After has their manager to dies.
0: <laughs> Even after their manager dies.
6: Even after their manager dies. So I think that you know, and also thank goodness for his son. His son is, and a and daughter is very, yep. very accomplished. And that obviously keeps people top of mind. So, you know, he's a he was a classically trained actor that found fame in comedy. So he really comes, he came with a very, you know, experienced and educated set of chops. And that is obviously what led into his longevity. And, you know, listen, you just had to love watching the guy.
0: Yeah, and, and it, uh, I remember, as you do, uh, a long time ago watching him on all of those variety shows long before we got to uh, his, his uh, fame in later life and with Seinfeld and such. Uh, Alyssa Freeman's been with us, Public Relations Consultant. Alyssa, we're going to talk again. We haven't chatted enough in the last little bit. I know. Uh, we got to get back on track. That's it. Back. We will. You be well, though. Okay, thank you. Take care. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to three on nine hundred CHML. This is the Scott Thompson podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast, or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening. Nine one
6: one. Nine
0: one one. What's your emergency? Ah, I'm on a cruise ship. Ah, there was an explosion. Oh my god! The ship is sinking. I can't get out. There's water everywhere.